Well, I'm excited, guys, to be here with you all and open God's Word this morning. Um, I believe God has a timely word for many of us today, and I'm, I'm thrilled about it. Today I'm beginning a series in the book of the Bible called Job, spelled like Job. And I've desired to preach from this book for some time. And there's been a variety of things that have given me a desire to preach from it, and a variety of reasons that's given me a bit of pause to preach from it. The book of Job is a book about suffering, which means it's a valuable, valuable book for all of us. Suffering is something that's not impartial. It plays no favorites. All of us will suffer. And so it reminds me a bit of like uh, fire drills when, in elementary school. You guys remember those things? All of a sudden, you're in the middle of math class, and the alarm goes off, and you got to get up and leave to the right exit because it's a fire drill. Now, the purpose of a fire drill is so that when an actual fire happens, you know what to do. Fire drills prepare us for the trial before it comes. The reason the book of Job is important for us is because all of us will face hardship. Most of us already have. If you haven't yet, hard is coming. Hard is coming. All of us have faced hardship in varying levels. And one thing I was encouraged this week as I was listening to some messages about suffering, somebody mentioned that, you know, we, we can't really compare the depths of each other's sufferings. We know all of us suffer, and some definitely to different and greater degrees for sure. But the truth of the matter is, because suffering is, is, is not partial, we, just, we all can relate in a sense to hardship in life. I don't stand up here as one who can say, man, I've suffered tons in life, which gives me a bit of pause and causes me to tremble some, honestly, to, to preach today. Um, I want you to know I'm not, I'm not speaking on suffering as if I'm one who can speak from a lot of personal experience. Um, I have suffered, but I've walked with others who've suffered. But most importantly, I speak from what the Bible says about suffering, and God knows it intimately. And so I hope and pray that through our time through the book of Job, he will meet each of us in our hardship. Trending on social media this week was the hashtag MeToo, which reminds us of the suffering of sexual abuse and sexual assault that many women in our society have experienced. Celebrities, people of all stripes. Many women have said, you know, Me Too. I've been abused, I've been assaulted, I've been harassed. And just seeing how a hashtag like that could trend breaks my heart. I know there's some of us here today who've been abused. You've suffered from the results of that. Some of us have suffered because of racism. We feel the sting of people saying things because of the color of our skin. Some of us have illness, mental illness, mistreatment at work, disability, sometimes just freak accidents that seem just like, where'd that come from? And we suffer because of it. Some of you have been bullied at school. Natural disasters, hurricanes and earthquakes. People you love are suffering. There's mass shootings, as we saw in Vegas. Cancer. Fibromyalgia, pain, rebelling child, 
I mean, we, we feel the pain collectively as a family. And I, I don't know the extent of your suffering, and maybe I didn't mention what you are going through, and that list I know is not exhaustive. And some of you might say, yeah, five on that list are me. Three on that list. And so I know, man, that, that this, this is a hard topic, but I'm hopeful in our God today. And I'm hopeful in our God throughout this series in the book of Job. You see, the design of Satan is to destroy your faith in your suffering. But the design of God is to strengthen your faith in the suffering. Suffering in the hand of Satan is destructive, and suffering in the hand of God is redemptive, and there is a trophy, if you will, in the, in the suffering, and that trophy is your faith. Who will win it? You know, when, when, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about his impending death on the cross, Peter was like, no, Jesus, it's not going to happen to you. And, and Jesus tells Peter this. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Because Jesus understood that in the the, the, the turmoil that Peter would soon experience, denying Jesus three times, failing, and the suffering that came from his own failures, that there would be a challenge to his faith. And what Jesus is saying is there is a battle for your faith when you're suffering. My prayer is that today and throughout this series, your faith would be strengthened and that you might have hope because of the book of Job. And because of the good news of Jesus that permeates its pages, I want us to understand this truth. Your suffering never escapes the loving eye of God. And it is never useless because of the loving hand of God. Your suffering never escapes the loving eye of God and it's never useless or pointless because of the loving power and hand of God. There is a purpose in the pain. And the book of Job communicates that. If you don't know the story of Job, you're going to be pretty amazed as we dip into its pages. It's a story of a man who lost everything and was tested in his faith and the story is an unpacking of how he responds to this great loss. It's a poem, the majority of it. And it's a poem that's known to be an ancient masterpiece, even by people who don't believe its words. The great 19th century poet Alfred Lord Tennyson called the book of Job the greatest poem of ancient and modern times. Fascinating. You may want to pick it up this week, 42 chapters. The book of Job is a book that we, that we peer into the suffering of a man who loved God and see what he does with it and why it's happening. With that being said, are you ready to open these pages with me here? Yeah, I'm eager to do it with you guys. Would you please open up to the book of Job? It's right in the middle of your Bible. You get to the book of Psalms, it's to the left of that. It is right before the book of Psalms. We're going to find ourselves in Job chapter 1. In the Pew Bible, what page we got? 417. Because I know this is weighty, because I know that God wants to bring freedom today, because I know God wants to heal some hurts today, let me pray one more time. 
before we dig into this beautiful book, into the beautiful good news that it communicates. Almighty God, we come before you, Lord, holding our hands open. The hurt and heartaches we've experienced and those we know are on their way, we say, Lord, have your way with us and may we worship you as Job was able to do. Lord, where healing is needing today, God, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, bring it, Father, I pray. Where hope is needed today and resolve is needed today, bring it, my Lord. Father, speak through me by the power of your Holy Spirit who is the comforter. And as the comforter speaks through me, may your comforter work in hearts to bring you glory and to bring joy even in grief. We adore you, Lord, and praise you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to start out. We're going to learn a little bit about this man named Job. Verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz, which is outside of the land of Israel, which is to say Job was not a Jewish man. He was not an Israelite. He was a Gentile. His name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. How about that for a description of somebody? He was a man who was blameless and upright, feared God and turned away from evil. We learned that Job was on point spiritually. He loved his God. But not only was he a man who loved his God and followed his God faithfully, God chose to bless him materially. Look at verse 2. There was born to him seven sons and three daughters, and by the point of the story, it seems that they're already adults. Verse 3, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which is 1,000 oxen because they're yoked up, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. I mean, where do you put 3,000 camels? I mean, unless he had a massive land on top of that. Maybe he had the first, like, rent-a-car service with the camels, like rent-a-camel. I mean, what do you do with 3,000 camels? Job had them. 7,000 sheep, 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys, which doesn't speak to the male donkeys. I mean, Job was a wealthy man. He had a lot. He had a character. He had a family. And he had possessions. And speaking of his family, verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, which probably refers to maybe his birthday or a special occasion. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. His children would have this massive feast that lasted a week. Um, I don't think the description here is to speak of how frivolous his kids were in their spending, although maybe, but it seems more to speak of the wealth of their family and the close-knit nature that they had. I mean, ten siblings getting together to celebrate together, that's pretty miraculous in itself. 
And so this was Job's family. And on top of that, we notice that at the end of their feasting, Job calls his children and consecrates them. That, that's Old Testament language for setting them apart. And not that he's isolating them, but he's setting them apart in order to, to show their, their holiness before God, to, to expose the sin in their hearts. And what Job was trying to do, basically saying, hey kids, let's make sure we're right with God. Let's set ourselves apart. If we've sinned against God, let's come before him and offer a sacrifice so that our hearts are pure before him. In this way, Job led his family. He was kind of like a priest over his household. He's a godly man. He's a good father. His children loved each other. They had great wealth. He was the most influential man in the East. Job had it going well for him. And at the end there in verse 5, thus he did continually. We see that Job was a man that had things going well. But oftentimes we see in the scriptures stories like this. It's like that movie that starts out real happy and then the music changes. You're like, oh no. Here it goes. The music changes in verse 6. The music changes. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God, that's the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Now you need to know the name Satan actually is, it's a word. And we translate it Satan because that's what it is in, in Hebrew. It's Satan. But the word Satan means accuser or adversary. See, it's not that his name is Satan as much as he is an accuser and adversary. And what that means is his responsibility, his, his joy, if you will, is to bring accusations against God's people. You ever feel accused by Satan? You ever sin, all of a sudden you feel condemnation? Well, Satan does that to the children of God. Our sin does that to us. But Satan says, you're good for nothing. You're such a failure. Throw in the towel. How dare you? And you call yourself a Christian? You've heard those words in your ears? And so that's what Satan does, and he comes before God, and God says, what have you been up to? Again, not to find out, but God knows all things, but here the story is unfolding for us. Satan says, I've been walking about the earth, and I can't help but think of what Peter says, 1 Peter 5, that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And here we see him like, yeah, I was just walking about the earth, undoubtedly looking for the children of God to accuse them. And with that, verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on, on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? For some of us, that question is very troubling. I was talking with a brother this morning, and he's like, like it's like almost like God put a target on his back. It's like, oh, yeah, Job, great guy. By the way, have you noticed him, Satan? Well, it's not like God's putting uh, say, uh, Job on Satan's radar, because look what Satan tells him in verse 9. Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? He knows what's up. He knows who Job is. This is no surprise. It's not like, oh, Job, I, didn't, I haven't been to us yet. No. Satan knew and God knew that. Does Job fear God for no reason? 
Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch him, touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. I'm going to pause there. Now we see a conversation happening that's quite sobering between Satan and God. Notice Satan comes to God. Notice Satan's the one who's talking to God, but not as one who's authoritative. Let's make clear here. There's one who's in charge, and it's not Satan. He may be the God of this world, but it's not because our God can't be. It's because our God is allowing him to be because our God is working out his purposes, and one day we'll cast him into a lake of fire for eternity. So this is not a story of a yin and yang, of powers, good and evil, and one might give to the other. Our God is omnipotent. Satan's got nothing on him. So God is then doing something in this story that we need to hear. God's not, his will's not being thwarted right now. God's not saying, man, if you caught me yesterday, I could have dealt with this, but today I'm, on a, I'm having an off day. No. There's something going on. But I wonder, why, why, why the conversation? Why, why does God ask him about Job? And I think the answer to that is in Satan's response. And I'm going to park here for a moment because that response cut me to the heart this week. Satan tells God, do you not, does Job fear God for no reason? It's a rhetorical question. Satan is working under the assumption that people like Job only love God because life is comfortable. That's the assumption. And he also believes that if life became uncomfortable, they would stop loving God. What Satan is saying is that Job's faith is as good as his comfort. That cut me to the heart this week. As I studied this and I thought, man, Lord, how good's my faith? Is my faith as good as my comfort is? Because in your sovereign hand, God, if you were to brush a stroke across my life right now, where would my faith be? It's a question I asked. And in tears at my desk, I said, Lord, I pray my faith is strong enough. Increase my faith. And that's a risky prayer because it's often through the trials that God does that. But remember, he is good. He's in control. Does Job fear God for no reason? Do you fear God for no reason? Do you fear God just because life is good? Or would you choose to worship him even when it's upside down? Satan tells God in verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him? <clears throat> He's saying, God, you bubble wrap this dude. You've seen those parents who do that to their kids out in the wintertime, it's like 40 degrees, and the kids can't even bend their knees because they got so many layers on. They kind of walk out of the house like this, and we, we kind of crack up like, you know, hey, it's going to be all right. Just throw a jacket on. The kid's good. Satan's like, God, that's what you're doing to Job. You bubble wrap this dude. You put a hedge of protection around his property. Look at all his camels. Look at all his oxen. Look at his happy kids who love each other. Look at it, all of this. God, if you took that away, this dude would be gone like that. This dude would be gone in a heartbeat. Question is, 
how, was, how good is our faith? Because hard is coming if you're not in the trial. And some of you are in the trial, and you're asking not how good would my faith be, but how good is my faith now? Well, in verse 11, Satan dares God, if you will, or asks God, he says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And then we see verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's a tough statement to grapple with because we know it's well within God's power to stop all that Satan intends, but we also know that God is doing something that's hard for us to see, and we're reading it. Imagine Job, who doesn't know what's going on. It's not because Job sinned. His character is spot on. It's not because he didn't love the Lord. He worshiped him. He did so continually. It's because God is doing something that sometimes we just don't understand. So look at verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen, they were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans, that's a people, they, they fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. His oxen and donkeys gone like that. Verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. There's a sheep. Verse 17. And while he was yet speaking, there came another. It said, the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. All of Job's possessions gone in a moment with three messengers. And then verse 18, perhaps the sorrowest of all. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This is Job. In an instance, everything gone. Everything gone. What would Job do at this point? How would he respond when he's lost everything that meant something to him? It's a gut-wrenching story. What we need to understand here is in the heartaches and in the pain, God has a purpose. What's so profound is what Job chooses to do here. Because all of us have an option here. When we face adversity, 
as I mentioned earlier, Satan would use it as a temptation to destroy your faith, and God would use it as a test to build your faith. That's the difference between a temptation and a test, and one circumstance may involve both of them. But understand this, temptation to sin does not come from God. It does not come from God. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God's not tempting Job to sin here. He's testing Job's faith. What will Job do? What will you and I do in these circumstances? Well, look what Job does in verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. I'm going to pause there. He grieved. He grieved. And it's okay to grieve when you're sad. We live in a society that gives us only but a few days for mourning after the death of a loved one. Our job tells us you got to go back to work and sometimes implicitly says, and you need to go back to life like it's normal again. And it's not normal. Normal's gone. There's a new normal that's happened in my grief. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to cry out to God. Job mourns. And yes, by God's strength, we need to learn to live life in a new way in our sorrow. We need to learn to to move on in God's help, not in a callous or insensitive way. But our grief is real. And when anyone tells you just move on, it is not biblical in a way that's calloused. It's biblical to say, it's okay to mourn. I'm going to walk with you through as you seek to grow through your pain here. Yes, we need to move. We know know this. But Job says it's okay to grieve. God shows us through Job's life it's okay to grieve. And Job does this. But then the next two words are the ones that are mind-blowing. He did this and worshipped. Hallelujah. How do you worship when all your possessions were taken and the last messenger of all refers to your children having died? How does Job worship? That's what I want to know. How do I have that kind of faith? Because the very definition of worship is to ascribe worth and praise and value to God. And in that moment of his suffering, Job was able to do that. Well, the answer to our question of how does he have this kind of faith has already been given to us, and it's the same thing God gives to you. Hard is coming. You need to build your faith now. And if you're in the trial, look to what Job did. What did he do? Well, we see back in his description of who Job was. He was a man who was blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. See, blameless and upright living builds faith. What does it mean to be blameless? It's to live a life that is not blameworthy. He chose to be upright. I remember as a college student, when I first began to understand blameless and above reproach living, and I've shared this with you before, but I can't stress it enough. It it comes down to this matter of integrity. Joe was the same man in public as he was in private. 
He was a man of integrity. And when we are men and women of integrity, when we are youth and young people of integrity, our faith is built. We're not living two lives. We're not living a Saturday life and then a Sunday life. A weekday life and a weekend life. A work life and a home life. A school life. And a friend life, I mean, it, it's, it's the same. It's one life. We can't compartmentalize our days. Either you are choosing to live for Jesus or you're not. Job chose to live for Jesus. And when I began to study people in the scriptures who've been called blameless, you think of Noah, Job, Elizabeth, and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist, they were called blameless. And what kind of things made these people blameless? Well, I remember as a youth in particular, as I was learning to, to grow as a young man and, and many passions stirring within me and, and many temptations to lust after women as a young man were stirring in my heart, I clung fast to Job 31.1, which says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. That's the character, the kind of character that Job had. He, he wanted to guard his eyes from sin. He wanted to guard his heart from sin. And that why, that's why God could say he was blameless and upright. Our culture needs to see men and women of faith who walk with integrity. Are you the same person in public as you are in private? I hope we could be like Job. Well, how did he learn to be blameless and upright. It says that he feared God. He feared God. We talked about this in our real communities last week. He feared God. To fear God is saying, God, I know you are almighty. I tremble in your presence, but I also love and adore you because you've made yourself known to me. God, I fear you in such a way that my greatest joy is to live for you. My greatest disappointment is when I rebel against you. God, I fear you. That's what Job did. And he turned away from evil as part of his life. That's character that built up faith, and that's real faith that endures in suffering. Real deal character produces real deal faith, which endures in real suffering. Job exemplifies this in our trials. Because on the flip side, the option we have is to crumble when it gets hot. In the book of Mark, Jesus gives a parable of four different kinds of soil. And it's a sower who sows seeds out to the, to the soil. And some of them grow in different ways. But only one chooses to bear fruit. But what's, what's telling is the third soil Jesus says this, and these are ones sown on rocky ground. There were seeds that fell on rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They, they, these are people who hear the good news of Jesus. They're excited about it. This is great. But they have no root in themselves, Jesus says. And they endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Because there was no foundation. Job had a foundation. But his question to, to God, does Job fear God for no reason? Satan's question to God is, is a real question because Satan understands and knows something that we often overlook when he says that. That's the utter sinfulness of our human hearts. Satan's like, come on, God, really? 
this dude, this dude loves you? See, I've seen the human heart. I've walked this earth. I've seen humanity. So Satan knows something that we often overlook, but he also overlooks something that we all also know is the sheer power of God to redeem that human heart. And so he can't conceive of somebody in the midst of this that just happened in chapter 1, choosing to worship God, but Job does it. He worships God in the midst of his grief. And then Job speaks his first words in the book. He says this in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked. Job understood the temporary nature of this life, which we must all understand in our suffering. We've, We've got to understand, if you're a child of God, our suffering is ultimately temporary. In fact, Paul says that this, this light and momentary affliction is, is building with, up within us uh, a weight of glory that awaits us in the future. And we feel like my affliction is not, is not easy, and it's not what it's saying. It mean, means to make light of it. But there's a sense where it's momentary in that if it lasts the rest of our lives, we're talking 80, 90, 100 years. And Paul is saying, zoom out and see that in all of eternity and let the grace of God cause you to endure in this life. Job understood the temporary nature of his life and of his suffering. Naked I've come, naked I'll go. But he also saw this, that every good gift came from God. The Lord has given and the Lord takes away. He knows all the riches he had, that came from God. The years he had with his children, that came from God. He says those were good. He thanks God for them. Yes, it's stung. Yes, his heart is broken. But he's able to zoom out and say, God, you're in control. And that's the third thing. The Lord has taken. Notice that. The Lord has taken. He didn't say Satan has taken. But who's responsible ultimately? See, Job understands God is sovereign over our suffering, which is why then, as I mentioned earlier, we can take comfort in this, that your suffering never escapes the loving eye of God and that your suffering is never pointless because it has a purpose in the loving hand of God. Job is in the depth of suffering. But by his response, he's choosing to let God build him up. It reminds me of what Joseph said after his brothers betrayed him. And then he brings him back into his life and then they lie to him. He doesn't know what's going on, but he says this. As for you, what you meant for evil, God has meant it for good. Not easy. Difficult, painful. But what we see in Job in his first chapter but the righteous do suffer, family. There's, there's suffering in our lives sometimes because of a consequence of our sin. It does happen. But there's also a suffering in our lives because there's suffering in our life. 
we also see how it's godly character that grants us the strength to make it through the storm. Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil. And he worshiped the Lord continually. Job had a perspective of God's plan. And so he was able to have faith when life was at its worst. Eric and I have had an opportunity to fly over the last couple of years to speak at these different marriage events. And when I first began to fly, I, uh, often um, I didn't do very well with turbulence on the plane. Uh, and you guys remember the first time you flew and there was crazy turbulence? That, that, that'll mess you up. <laughs> that'll mess you up. And I, it struck me that when I'm sitting in my plane seat initially and there was turbulence on the plane, which means the plane is shaking, you can tell the rookies from the veterans. The rookies tighten their seatbelt and they're holding onto their seat like this. And the veterans are sleeping. They're just bouncing. And you're like, how are they able to sleep when there's turbulence in the plane? And I guarantee you, as I'm learning myself, is I have never heard the captain say, guys, the plane's broken. It's, it's, it's broken, guys. We're in trouble. The captain says, we're experiencing some turbulence. Buckle your seatbelt. We'll be getting through this in about 10 minutes. See, because the problem isn't the plane. It's the outside turbulence. And what happens for many of us, when we experience suffering in our lives, we have a choice to see, is the problem our faith? No. But when we think it is, we start saying, well, what good is a Christian faith then? What good is our God then? I'm going to abandon this thing because there's too much turbulence. And God's saying, no, there is turbulent things in our lives, but the problem isn't the faith. In fact, it's the faith that will get you through the turbulence. The captain says, stay in your seat because it's in the plane you get through the storm. And what we see in Job's life and what you and I see, even when we taste the most bitter sufferings, and I don't want to make light of the pain that you have experienced, but you must know that there's, uh, there, there is a shelter in your faith in our God, knowing as Job knew that the Lord is the one who gives, the Lord who takes, but it's the Lord who is good, it's the Lord who is in control, and you could worship him even through tears through the faith that you have in him. This is what I love about the book of Job. As we continue on in the weeks ahead, I started praying this this week as I heard someone else do it and I thought this was great wisdom. Let me praying for three kinds of healing for us as a church family. Let me praying for physical healing for those who are sick. Praying that God heals you. Praying that God meets you in your time of need. Your illness, your emotional illness, your emotional hurt, that God just brings healing touch to your body. For those who are sick and God chooses not to heal you of your illness, also praying for the miracle of faith. That is a miracle, family. It's the miracle of faith that says, God, I've got pain physically right now. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship you still. That's the miracle of faith I'm praying over you who are suffering. 
Thirdly, I'm praying for the miracle of hope in eternity. The book of Revelation says there's a day coming where he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There'll be no more hunger, no more thirst, no more cancer, no more abuse, no more death, no more fear of death. And that miracle of hope will sustain us. As I heard one man say, God, what Satan meant for evil, God has meant for good, has sustained a many broken hearts. I'm believing that for us, family. I praise God for the book of Job. I praise God that this righteous man suffered so that we who seek to serve the Lord can say, Lord, should you give and should you take away, blessed be your name. Your suffering never escapes the loving eye of God. And your suffering is never useless because of the loving hand of God. This is our God. Praise be to him. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for your tender affection, God. Lord, I know the hurts that are in this room. I know the hurts of others who are part of our family who are not in this room. And Lord, I know I don't know all the hurts. God, sometimes, sometimes we want to give up. Sometimes we just want to say, I'm through. But Lord, I thank you, Lord, for, for Job, who in his grief worshipped you. Lord, even as Estrella said earlier, God, how in her hardship she didn't have the strength to even worship. But Lord, I thank you, God, <laughs> that she leads us in worship today. And that's only because of your strength. As for my brothers and sisters who feel like they can't lift a hand, may they lift their hearts. For others who feel that they can't look to the heavens, may they cry out to them. Lord, may we as a family rally around one another May we, God, empathize with others' pain. God, may we all be proactive to build up our faith, to be men and women of integrity, to be those who fear you and turn away from evil because you are the best and we love you and we never want to turn away from you even when we're suffering. We don't want to turn from you. So, Lord, may we, God, cling fast to the gospel of Jesus who on a bloody cross took our sin to give us life and to give us hope of forgiveness, of sure forgiveness now and the hope of eternity. And may we walk in the victory of your son because Lord, there is a righteous one who suffered as Job was a righteous one who suffered. 
There is one that Satan wanted to end, Lord. There is one that hell rejoiced over when he died. But there's also one who rose after three days. And it's in this Jesus we put our faith in. For any who are here today, Lord, who don't know Jesus, the one who suffered and died to give us life and hope, God, I pray that you would move them to turn from their sins and turn to you and love and adore you and experience the healing and redemption you bring. Father, meet us here. I want to ask the prayer team if you would begin to wake, make your way forward and to the back of the sanctuary. As we sing this last song, you may want to stand, you may want to sit. You may want to kneel here. You may want to cry. You may want to rejoice. You may want to celebrate. But whatever God is doing in your heart, direct it to Him. Like our prayer leaders, they're here. They want to pray with you. If you're overwhelmed and burdened, let our prayer team pray for you, pray with you, encourage you. And may we sing with the joy of the Lord and in the storm be able to say, it is well with my soul. So let's sing together. Yeah.
It is 
as we go to sweet go in the courage and healing love and touch of our God and know that all that you go through never escapes his loving eye and know that all that you go through is not pointless or useless because our God works through the pain to draw you to himself to comfort you with his love and to strengthen you in your heartache The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, church family. You are dismissed, and whenever you want to, feel free to linger and pray and meditate. We'd love for you to join us downstairs for